Okie dokie. You ready? Oh, 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 oh. Okay. edition of Films on Trial. This week, episode number 36. 37. 37. <laughs> it's the Breakfast Club, everybody. <laughs> That's totally just flagged us up on the iTunes. Uh, <laughs> flag, flag, flag away. I can use snippets if you can't tell what it is. Uh, I'm Gav. I'm Dave. I'm Joel. And I'm Austin. And, um... Just like uh, Simple Minds, we don't want you to forget about us. <laughs> uh, is there nothing else after that? Brilliant. No, I see, yeah. I'm just, I'm just uh, I was waiting for the pun. You're a pun. <laughs> <laughs> Every week I'm plumbing to new depths, to be honest. Um, right, okay, yeah. So whatever, show up. I'm not bothered. Uh, so if you've never heard the show before, basically we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. There's also going to be lots of banter, some news, a quiz, some terrible impressions, some terrible songs. Uh, so yeah, stick around and enjoy it. You'll have a laugh. You know, who knows? You might like it. Uh, but before we go on to the bulk of the show, we've got a bit of news. Hang on. Piss. <laughs> <laughs> Try again. That's essentially it. <laughs> yeah, whatever, you know, you know, you know what it sounds like. I just played it before. Yeah. Anyway, right, so this is the news. Essentially, we go around in a circle and we each talk about a newsworthy or noteworthy item that's happened in the past week. So, yeah, without further hesitation, uh, Joel, what's your piece of news of the week? Well, my news is that Jamie Lee Curtis has apparently already wrapped on the new Halloween movie. <laughs> Which doesn't really fill me with a massive amount of confidence, you know. Because she's never rapped before in her life. Yeah, she's <laughs> never rapped before in her life. But also, it seems to be extremely quick that it's over. And you would think that it would take maybe slightly longer. But I don't know. I mean, it sounds like it's going to be shit anyway. But So what do we know about it apart from Jamie Lee Curtis's back in? Even after she died. Ooh. Well, that, that, that. I mean, the, the character, not Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> Bad taste. That, that was that, my news story. <laughs> that's pretty much it, to be honest. The fact that she's dead and they're making it anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, what, 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 maybe stop, actually thinking about it, she's only in one scene and it's just like, oh, well, yeah, she, yeah, she, she is actually dead, dead and she's like, well, I'm done. Could be a flashback. Yeah. yeah. Maybe she is playing Michael Myers. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, because he has a mask, so it could be anyone. And then the big reveal, take the mask off, it's it's Laurie, uh, and everyone's like, oh my God, didn't you die? And she's like, no, I just fell into some leaves. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. So, oh, look at that, like screenwriting 101. Spoiler. <laughs> See, I can just keep on, like yeah. Halloween films, it, like, it never ends really, does it? Remember uh, the ending of H2O, and he got decapitated at the end, and then you're like, oh, well, that's definitely got to be, it's not like Michael Myers is going to come back with his, his head Pritt sticked back to his body, you know. It's... He could do. It's an interesting plot point, to be honest. Oh, He's it... been Pritt sticked. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what do you actually prefer, though, out of Halloween or Friday the Thirteenth? Um, oh, uh, that's a tough one, actually. I reckon Halloween because John Carpenter did the first one, and it's great. What about you, Dave? I'd give it a Halloween, to be honest with you. Friday the Thirteenth got formulaic real fast, whereas Friday the Thirteenth, I mean Halloween, actually 
had some good moments in it, and it had Donald Pleasance. Yeah. Ozzy, have you seen it? And oh, it's not the one where uh, Jamie Lee Curtis swaps uh, swaps <laughs> partners with. Uh, uh. <laughs> no, no, I must have. I was getting the two confused. Yeah. <laughs> Changed my life, you know. Freaky it, Friday. Uh, Lindsay Lohan is amazing in that as Michael Myers. Um, I, I, you know what I liked, right? How it was originally supposed to be. So John Carpenter intended it as a series of different. Halloween, no, different horror films released on Halloween. So Halloween 1 and 2 was about Michael Myers. Great, you know, brilliant, leave it at that. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, was a different story, completely different. And that's what it should have been. But it didn't get a great return. Not a lot of people went to it because I think maybe they thought that Michael Myers was going to be in it. And they were like, oh, if he's not in it, I don't really care. So they bailed and they were like, oh shit, right? Let's get Michael Myers back into it, even though he died in the second one. And then from then on, he's been in every single one of them. I just think they should have stuck to their guns. I would have liked to have seen a new director tackling a new type of horror story each Halloween. I think like it, a Tales from mm, the Crypt. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Movie style. Yeah, but yeah, and, and I think, you know, they should have just had faith to be original back in the day and do something unique each year instead of just kind of making the same film over and over again. That's a good point. Yeah, anyway, yeah. yeah right. well done. Well done. Thanks, thanks, guys. This is, this is why I really have the podcast. <laughs> For once, we've all agreed yeah. with you. Yeah. <laughs> you can reaffirm what I say. Uh, well, yeah, uh, Dave, uh, what is your piece of news for the week? My news of the week, something I read before, it was um, an interview with Andy Serkis, who everyone will know as Gollum and other, basically any CGI character you've seen in the last 10 years. And Black Panther. And Black Panther now. Black Panther's like also the Marvel films and Kong. Yada, 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 He's yada, like, yada, I'm not Kong. doing this film unless I can have some part of me CGI. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's, um, he's, he's stepped in on uh, quite a bit of a debate at the moment. Um, basically, he's shed light on new reforms that are coming in the cinema industry and in stage as well, where they want to have strict guidelines as to what can be included in a love scene or a romantic interaction between two actors. And that's so he's said that this is essentially censorship. They want to bring in rules like no kissing with tongues and little things like that. And then there's even more expansions of what they want to bring in with regards to love scenes as well. And he said, this is censorship. It should be between the director and it should be the actors, you know, that they should get together. They should decide how to play it. There shouldn't be a rule. There shouldn't be a guideline for it. Now I see where he's coming from in terms of censorship, but I also see where people who've criticized him for these comments are coming from in the fact that these last few years, it's a bit naive to say, oh, the actors have a say in this. Some actors can be forced into things. We've heard about all the horror stories these last few months of directors basically leading the charge on this one and forcing actors into things they didn't want to do in the first place. So maybe he's being naive or maybe he's got a point. It's it's a tricky one to call me. I want to see what everyone thought about this. Well, I um I actually uh, listened to an interview about that um, pretty recently about these guidelines. Um, and I don't obviously they're just still sort of up in the air, so mm-hmm. nobody really knows. So that's that, that was a bit of a shock to me for you to say that oh they don't want people to kiss with tongues that sort of stuff. So um one of the things I heard was that they'd have uh, same way you get like a choreographer or like a someone who helps deal with fight scenes or whatever. They'd have a a similar choreographer for love scenes where they would talk people through. It should be properly scripted. I think one of the problems uh, with some of these uh, stories that we're hearing now about sex scenes and, uh, and love scenes is that they're just made up on the spot or the actor only finds out about them the day of the scening. Or, so if, or so the other one improvises. Yes, yeah. yes. So what should happen is it should be discussed previously. Everyone should know exactly what's going to happen and then you can agree to that, you know, and then if that's the case, then you're okay, isn't it? You could go as far or as... Or, or, or not as far as you would like, but the director and the screenwriter and the actors should all know 
in advance, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, I'm yeah. happy for you to touch me here. I'm happy for you to kiss me with tongues. This is how it's going to be. And then you know how the shot's going to be. And the, the, you know, the director and uh, cinematographer can work with, within people's uh, uh, limits, you know, can reshoot a film but you, you know exactly what you're going to play with so yeah if that's what it's going to be i don't see how anyone could yeah. argue with that that surely makes yeah. sense i mean i don't know what andy circus is complaining about if, if that was it if but, that's yeah, the route yeah. they want to go that sounds yeah. like a good compromise for all concerned that sounds fair but i i hadn't um, heard about what austin's just said i i what i was going to recommend is is the exact same thing essentially having some sort of like independent uh, body who would, uh, you know, is represented from former actors, directors, cinematographers, etc. And you would have a representative there, uh, each filming or each play, and um, just have somebody there to oversee any uh, lovemaking scenes, anything yeah. like that. So they could say what is and is, isn't allowed. Work with the actors themselves, just like Austin said and said, uh, you know, do you feel comfortable doing this? You know, how can we, how can we make it different? Yeah. You know, exactly work with the actors, um, as, as Austin yeah. said. Uh, so yeah, I think that's that's a great idea. And um, if if anybody's got any issues with that, I think they can go and screw themselves. Yeah, I, I agree. To be honest, but only with everyone else's consent. <laughs> as long as it's scripted, that's all that matters. It's just a, no, that sounds fair to me. And it's, I think uh, it's naive to say that oh, it should just be worked out on the day. Yeah, Clearly, that's... what's happened, what we've heard in the last few months or so, proves that people yeah. can't be trusted. I think that's how people feel pressured into something. If you're doing it on the day, you feel mm-hmm. like there's a pressure, there's a deadline to yeah. meet. You're holding everyone up if you're not keen on something. So, yeah, if it was worked out in advance, I can't see what your issue would be with that. But, mm-hmm. um, but again, you know, he's a film. He's an industry insider. He, he probably knows more about what's uh, being I'm, discussed I'm sure than, he does, than, than we do. But it know, sounds fair. It sounds like yeah. this. Some, something needs to be done anyway. This sounds like a good step. Well, thank you very much, Dave. Uh, Austin, what is your piece of news for the week? Well, um, on a lighter note, I've been um, I've been really enjoying all of our rock news. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, is this news about the rock? It is news about the rock. I, and, I think um, we, going forward, we should you, call this... Uh, yeah, this can is, you smell... <laughs> can you smell what the rock is cooking? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, this week, uh, the rock is cooking uh, Rampage. Ooh, the yeah. uh, earth-shaking international trailer came out yesterday. And um, we're just a few months away from Rampage being released. A 1980s arcade game remake. Okay, so Austin... I know ha- a lot all about this. <laughs> <laughs> this is just like a Wikipedia page yeah. right now. So, so insightful. Yeah. Uh, so Austin, I, I take it you haven't played the game? Uh, no, I haven't played the game. No, I don't play computer games. Well, you don't seem to do much to no, no. I don't know what you do outside of this room. Most, most of it is done editing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> down I'm very, extra, very so. grateful. Very grateful. Yeah. Has anybody played the game? I've never even heard of the game. Okay, are we sure it's based on a, on a game? Yeah, yeah, it's based on a game called Rampage. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think well. Joel's just implying that I don't know anything about films and it's... I can't read. Okay, okay. So obviously, none of us have played the game. But Austin, are you uh, excited about the uh, prospect of the Rock in a film where like big beasts smash up ship? Well, unlike you, Gav, I am really excited for another film with loads of CGI characters in. So, <laughs> so essentially, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's good to see The Rock and then I think he's just basically fighting three really big uh, monsters. Yeah. So that'll be pretty cool, Brilliant. I think. It also got, has got a movie. Uh, Jeffrey yeah. Dean Morgan in, so... Yeah, he does. Playing, uh, it sounds like... Um, the baseball bat. Megan, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just missing his baseball bat. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be great. 
and I can't wait. <laughs> like, I, I was having a com- it was actually Brucey. I was having a conversation with Brucey the other night, and uh, he was like, "Oh, I don't know, you know." And I was like, "If if you don't, if you watch that trailer and you don't know exactly what it's about from that trailer, then it's it, you know it's definitely not for you." People yeah. aren't going to go to that yeah. film and go like, "Oh, you know what? There was too much uh, big giant gorillas smashing up buildings." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I totally agree. People, you know, people know what they're going to get in for. It's going to be a big CGI fest. There's going to be lots of explosions, lots of guns, and lots of the rock. And that sounds great with me, to be honest. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping it's like everything Transformers should have been. Exactly. We have discussed this before, though. When has a video game adaptation ever been good? <laughs> Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I think what might help is that none of us know what this video game Well, is. I've, I've just Googled it. it. The most recent installment was released on the Wii in November 19th, 2006. So... <laughs> So, so it doesn't sound like it's that great, to be honest, even the video game. So, <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, right, here's a question. Was The Rock in the video game? Yes. No, he wasn't. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it was shipping. That's why everybody bought it, because The Rock wasn't in it. Put The Rock in a film, and, and it's going to sell. Uh, and especially if it's got giant animals fighting each other in, in, in the city. So, yeah. So, thank you very much, Ozzy, for no that. Um, uh, can you smell what The Rock is cooking? <laughs> Okay, so my piece of news for the week. Uh, you don't I'm, deserve any news. It's <laughs> a bit of an anti, anticlimactic after that, to be honest. Okay, so uh, fi- uh, file this. What should I say? It doesn't matter what your news is. I can't come back on that. I mean, uh, you, can't, you, you can't hear my eyebrow being raised right yeah. now, but it is. Um, okay, right so, uh, right. so file this one under the category uh, of uh, is nothing sacred anymore, but there is a new prequel in the works. Um, a prequel uh, telling us the life of Willy Wonka. Uh, wow. What? Yeah, wow. yeah. Uh, so it's, it's not known by now if it's a direct prequel to the original uh, uh, Gene Wilder film or the 2005 remake, but it thankfully won't feature Johnny Depp because it's a prequel, so it's like an origin story, so it's got to be a bit younger. Um, so the director and writer of Paddington, uh, Paul King, is going to be doing the writing and directing okay. job. I actually really liked Paddington. Uh, so, I mean, I don't want to say I'm optimistic because I think it's very unnecessary, but if anybody's going to be doing it, then I'd rather somebody like him. He seems like a good guy for the job. Yeah, yeah. What do people think about this then as, as, as a new film coming out? So, so he's he's writing the story. It's not because yeah. it's not based on anything. It's just uh, no. I think that there was a, there was a sequel written to the book, wasn't it? By Roald yeah, Dahl, but that the, was, oh, was the Great Glass Elevator. But that that but was a se- that, that was a sequel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, we don't we don't really know much about his backstory, and yeah. maybe there's some things that we shouldn't dip into. You know, this is a big literary character. Do we really it's, want to know his origins, well, especially if it's been drawn up by someone that isn't Roald Dahl? Well, it, what was I think the well, only even thing if I it know, was done by Roll <laughs> 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 <I, laughs> I think the only thing that we know about his is is origin or uh, you know anything we know before the Chocolate Factory is him rescuing the Umpalumpas. So mm. didn't he rescue them from? Uh, I can't remember the name of the place, but, but there was like a, um, a a big creature that used to eat the Umpalumpas, and he yeah. and he rescued them to enslave them. There, there, say, were, there were lots of creatures. Yeah, there's like a flippity floppity and a wingo wango. And it's a, just Kinnead, come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, just kind of two words mashed together. Yeah, that sounds about right. Oh, you, you, you're drunk again, bro. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> All right, whatever I want, you flippity flappity. <laughs> Almost sounds like Rick and Morty. <laughs> I, I, I'm actually quite excited. I think it'll be good. I, th- I think uh, the Paddington was good. I've seen Paddington. Oh, I wow. enjoyed oh, Paddington. Shit. Yeah, yeah. I've been, <laughs> I'm, making a, I'm making an effort, guys. I really am. Oh, yeah, man. And, um, yeah, I, I thought Paddington, Paddington was good. And, you know, the Russians hated it, so... All for it, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I think it'll be good, and I think if he's uh, if he does anything like he did with that, then uh, you know he should be quite 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 worth a watch. Okay, thank you. Um, no worries. <laughs> that's a genuine question, actually. Did um, uh, was Paddington the first one banned in Russia? Because we know the second one was. So, if any if any listeners from Russia, um, please tell us if uh, Paddington was banned. <laughs> Were you able to see Paddington when it came out? Right, if Paddington's banned, we sure as hell are. <laughs> I'm not sure if we're a real uh, a real threat to the, the Russian podcast. They just really don't like us. Yeah. <laughs> to, to be honest, I went and saw Spectre when I was in Russia, and that should have been fucking banned everywhere. <laughs> so, really, honestly. Anyway, so thank you very much for all of your news, guys. It's been it's been just it's just been brilliant. Uh... Oh fuck it, whatever. You know what? Close, yeah, yeah, you close. know what it sounds like. Anyway, so um, so yeah, uh, thank you very much, guys. Uh, so as I said before, if you've never heard this show before, basically we take a film and we put it on trial. All the films are randomly pulled out of our special hat. And this week, it is the turn of The Breakfast Club. <laughs> that's, that's twice now. The copyright is really starting to rack up. But you know what? It's... <laughs> It's really okay because that's the only good part about the film. So, getting in early there. The jabs in early. Okay, so uh, also uh, pulled at random are the roles. So this week, in the role of defence and trying to get the film placed on the hit list, is going to be my good self in the role of prosecution and getting that film. Well, trying to anyway, (laughs) getting it placed on the shit list is Austin. Hello, Austin. Hello, hello. Uh, in the role of character witness and giving their genuine opinion about the film and trying to lend some weight behind the argument is Captain Dave. That means uh, in the role of judge is Joel and he's got the most important role because he has to listen to both arguments and decide which list the film should be placed on based solely on the arguments put to him and not his own opinion, Joel. Okay, so... Uh, without further hesitation, I think we should give everybody a bit of an overview as to what The Breakfast Club is all about. So, I'm going to read out the synopsis. But, the real question is, in what accent should I read the synopsis out in? Can I put forward, like, an Alex suggestion, make it something really random? Oh, do, it, do it as Molly Ringwald. Shit, <laughs> <laughs> I can't... I, I can't don't, don't do it as Molly Ringwald. You could try and do it as Ali Sheedy. You know, she's got loads of, uh, yeah, loads loads of dialogue. Powers. You, yeah. could, you could try and copy her accent. Oh, yeah, I'll man. tell you what, Gav, you pick your favourite yeah. character from The Breakfast Club <laughs> and I, you, you just take it away. I, you know what? I, I wish I would have seen it more recently. Um, Why don't you do one of the um, ethnic characters? Oh, it's, I get this. It's a very <laughs> hilarious, hilarious joke. Uh, I, I'll get into more detail about it. I'll try and be Paul Gleason. Five high school students meet in Saturday detention and discover how they have a lot more in common than they thought. If you mess with the ball, you get the ball. <laughs> okay, that, that was pretty good. I'll, I'll give it, wasn't, that one. it wasn't. Nice. It was just loud. <laughs> loud and vaguely American. That sounded perfect. <laughs> That's Paul Gleason. <laughs> okay. So, oh yes, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, what we're going to do is kick things off uh, with our judge, Joel. Hello. 
Um, that was a nice introduction, Gav. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for having me. No, uh, so who wants to go first? Is there any particular uh, person who wants to go first? Tough shit, I, it's you, Gav. <laughs> Why am I always the one going first? Right, okay, doesn't matter. Right, so The Breakfast Club. Where can I start? I know where I'll start. It is one of the best films ever made, right? <laughs> <laughs> you always go too big, I feel, on the, on the opening statement. <laughs> oh, listen, I'll go too big on you in a minute, right? One of the, if it's not one of the best films ever made, which it is, by the way, it's definitely one of the best films of the 80s. And the reason is, is that it perfectly typifies that era. It just sums up everything about the 80s in one great film. Uh, the script is just really, really well written. Um, and it shows you that you don't need a multi-million dollar budget, like massive special effects or glamorous settings to create cinematic gold. Uh, this is just like a really perfect cocktail of well-written characters, which is superbly performed by the cast. Um, th- and the thing is, is what it makes this film so important, I think, is that it delivers a really relevant message, uh, which is and, and has really kind of timeless subject matters. The messages are as relevant as they are back then, as they are today. I mean, it spoke to an entire generation and it continues to do so. It highlighted the diversity of the average classroom and showed that things aren't just black and white. It showed that kids can also be really complex and they can be as hurt or as brave as adults and highlighted the importance of communicating with them, whether that be as friends or as classmates or as parents. It showed that there is a lot more to school students than we care to believe. Um, it, it ultimately got a number of stereotypes and it plonked them in one room together. It had this really kind of claustrophobic feel like the whole film is essentially in one classroom or you know one one hall and it didn't really you know there was a few scenes out when they try and when they try and break free and in the kind of ventilation shaft but the majority of the film is in that it felt like a bit of a die hard way um it's sort of like a sort of a siege movie in a way uh, and it, because of that, the characters had nowhere to go. So the focus of the film was just on those characters. And when it starts, you're just like kind of, oh, here we go. Right? There's a geek, there's a jock, there's a there's a nerd, you know, like there's, there's a princess, there's a basket case, whatever. These are just stereotypes. Why should I bother? It just looks like lazy writing. But as the film goes on, you realize that they're not just stereotypes. It delves more into each one of the characters and they turn out to be really, really nuanced characters. It's like Each one of them shows that there's a reason that they're like that you know and it it's it tells this message at the end that everything isn't black and white you know i mean we can all sit around here we can talk about people who were in our school and we can watch the breakfast club and we can identify with the characters there we can be like oh yeah well that person reminds us of of bloody blah and that person reminds us of you know whoever The, the fact is is that there was always whether you call them stereotypes or not, there were always those types of characters in any high school. And it's showing you that they're not just the stereotypes that you perceive them to be. You might say, oh yeah, I went to some, I went to school with somebody who was just like that. who was a jock. And you might think, well, actually, you know, I thought he was a jock because he was perceived to be a jock, but you didn't really know much else about him. He might've been really different. He might've been really deep. There might've been a reason that he was a jock. Like we're shown in the film, each character has a reason for what they are. And each character has... A, is going through a lot of emotional turmoil and it just it just is a really kind of important message that we need to listen to each other and we need to respect each other as well and not just judge a book by its cover uh, it ultimately displays the importance of friendship as well and how all the pain and suffering that you might be feeling at any point in your life can be made a bit easier with the support of friends 
Um, and just talking about the, in general, the direction I think is really great. I said that it was quite claustrophobic. I think it's very constricting and it gives the audience essentially the feeling of being in detention, like you're in the classroom with the kids because it's very sort of tightly filmed. Uh, and, and also it, it because it's shot in this kind of one, this one classroom, it, it, you don't lose focus. You are drawn essentially to the characters. Um, the, the comedy, the writing in it, I think is just really genuine. It's really, it's really funny. There's some really tender moments as well. And um, the interactions between the characters is really great. You know, you have like characters that are just bouncing off each other all the time. And uh, there's like lots of one-liners. There's like really, really dynamic, really great dynamic in there. Um, and the music as well. I think the music is was handpicked for the film by John Hughes. John Hughes is just fantastic. I think he's a brilliant director and he's a brilliant writer as well. And what what people don't give him a lot of credit for is picking the uh, the score or the music to help set the film. When you look at any of his films, they've all got a very very significant signature soundtrack, and this is no different. This sets the tone really well, and I think it's just a fantastic film. Okay. <laughs> Quite a lot to, to go off there, Ozzy, but I presume you're going to stick the knife in. Well, yeah, because basically everything I've said isn't true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give one concession because the soundtrack is good and I think we all agree, 80s tunes, the, the one, the, there are a lot of really good 80s tunes and, uh, and yeah, they were, they were all picked out uh, throughout this. So that's pretty much all I've got good to say about the film. And um, I think other than, you know, the end scene, you know, if, you, if I can't remember anything else that happened, nothing else happened, didn't it? Don't so, mind you've only seen about three films, <laughs> to be fair. So. But this is one of them, so you know, you would think I'd remember a lot. Um, touché, touché. But um, it's it just felt it's 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 everything that's wrong with eighties films, as well as everything that's right. So the music is great, but the rest of it is, you know, it's just stereotypes. It's, um, it's the same as Gav said. There is, I mean, the summary of the summary of the movie is basically five stereotypes in a room and um it's just hard to follow you got a criminal um or like a delinquent type character princess you mentioned you got the geek you got the athlete um uh, and and the crazy girl and um they just, just there's just no sense to it you know what why would they why are they all there there's a little bit of a touch on it you talk about um uh, you, you, the writing was great. I felt like the writing was just, just like every other 80s film. You know, it's all, it was fine in terms of, you know, it's not offensive. It's just little one-liners, but it, it's the same jokes that you'd have heard in every other 80s film. Um, it didn't think it was anything special. It didn't come out very much. What I thought was going to be really good is that they were in the single room. At one point I thought, yeah, this is really, this is quite interesting. And I thought it's going to be very difficult to prosecute. But then, you know, sort of 30 minutes in, there's just a, it just goes mental. It's totally, there's no story. So you get, they get told, don't you make a noise? Um, the teacher sort of says, if you make a noise, you know, you, that's it. You'll be here for, you know, a month of Saturdays. Next thing they're having a party in, in the library, the guys in the next room along, it's just the crazy party going on. It seemed like an excuse to do dancing to good eighties tunes. Um, for a lot of the movie, there was just this whole, like, scooby-doo type scene where they're moving around it just was nonsensical there was no real there was no real narrative to the to the story and i really wanted to follow it because i'm you know i I thought i was going to like it it seems like the sort of film that i'd be well into and um yeah i just couldn't follow it i mean so much so that i can't even follow 
my writing to pick up with all of your <laughs> your bits here. But it's um, you know, essentially, it's a light-hearted high school movie. Um, but I felt like it missed out on so many other. Gav talks about it. It sort of it delves into these sort of each of the characters makes them really nuanced. But I didn't feel like it did, and uh, and I also felt like it sort of made light of everything that was going on sort of around the time. You know, there's a lot of 80s films that came out similar, not too, you know, they deal with similar subject matter, but also they touch on what was happening at the time. You got a bit of a context of of the area. This one is just sort of, everything's great. It's the 80s, you know, these kids are all all fine. But, you know, there was, uh, there was loads of other things they could have touched on, even slightly. So in the backstories of any of these kids, it just turns out everyone just has parent troubles. You know, the only thing that brings them all together is that, oh, the parents are a bit pushy. It just felt a bit lazy. Um, it's fine that they're not all just the stereotypes, but the only reason that they are their stereotype is just because of the way they've uh, they've taken what their parents say. So, that yeah, that just felt a bit lazy to me um, in terms of the writing. Um, yeah, I just felt like they missed out. There could have been stuff about... I, I thought I'd written a really good line. I'm not gonna. It doesn't fit in with what I was gonna say, so I just leave it. But um, you made a little touch there about the uh, about the stereotypes, and I just couldn't follow it. So you know, you got Ali Sheedy. She's just like this uh, crazy goth, and um, but she's just crazy. Like she did, she she barely has any words. She doesn't say. It just has these like real random outbursts, these weird noises. It's like I'm not entirely sure that she'd have even made it to that year of school. You know, I've flashbacks been... to the to the lethal weapon episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she have just been, you know, she there's, there's no way she'd have made it into the school. And then at some point, she says, um, "I'm only here because I've got nothing better to do." Just really, what? It doesn't make sense. And then the last five minutes, she gets her. Uh, she has this makeover, classic '80s film makeover, and then she's got a pretty dress. Where, where did the dress come from? Like this, she's all dressed in black. Suddenly, she's all dressed in white. Her hair comes down. She's beautiful. And uh, and the jock's like, oh yeah, she's she's fit. I'm taking her out. <laughs> what the fuck? They've not spoken to each other for the entire. Like, she's the one character that people just don't want to speak to. Then there was one little scene where she does, and but yeah, anyway, she's um she comes out, great music's playing. Uh, Estevez, he's um he's like, oh yeah, she's beautiful, and now uh now that's what I'm all over. So um, what's he say? He says, um, what happened to you? You're just so different. I can see your face. It's good. Well, I just, oh man, it's just rubbish. So anyway, so I, um, if you forget about that, it's just like, suddenly she's she's beautiful. And that's just a really basic stereotype. It's in every 80s film. Um, what's your face? Um, his name, Nelson. Yeah, I don't yeah, know his yeah. name or anything, but... Um, Bender. Bender. <laughs> so um, it's, just a, it's just a terrible guy. Like, I mean, I can understand that it's a stereotype, but he's just like a, like a horror. There's actually a bit in there where he... Um, he sexually abuses her while the teacher's there because they're all like trying to look out for him. He's under the table and uh, and goes to touch her. And it's like, and then at the end of the film there, she wants to go out with him. Suddenly they're best mates and he's just been trying to, you know, he's been touching her underneath the table when she's been trying not to. It's just, how's that? You know, I know it's a, an 80s film and things are very different back then, but... It, I mean, it's not right at any point. So how they could just sort of make light of that? Just oh, very lighthearted. Goes through there. Uh, Molly Ringwald herself is just a very you know is a stereotype because she's just an entitled little princess. 
throughout and and then she doesn't really change at the end even after you you know she doesn't really have an, an enlightenment uh period she just ends up getting with uh with uh with uh bender you know there's no it just doesn't seem to be any reason for that so i just couldn't really f- I just couldn't get behind that and then um what's your man um estevez he's just like he just looks confused throughout the entire film he just he just has this little weird face in fact there's a bit where um they're all smoking weed and then he goes off into a different room and he comes back like he's on I don't know, like he's on speed or something. He's on a totally different drug to everyone else. He just goes absolutely mental while the other guys, you know, are, are having a little giggle because they've been smoking weed. And he's on something altogether different. It just didn't seem to match what was happening. I just couldn't... So, I mean, for me, I felt like the characters were pretty empty. There was... Um, they were all just the stereotypes and then just a parent issue. And that was the only thing that really brought them all toge- together. And... um I didn't feel like it had this in-depth sort of character study that Gav was implying uh, was there. So all in all, I felt like the film couldn't possibly be the best film of the 80s, let alone, <laughs> you know, I don't even think it was, I don't even think it's in the top 100 films of the 80s. <sighs> I'm an angry Gav here, I would say. <laughs> Do you want a, a quick rebuttal, Gabriel? Yeah, I do. I want to rebut big time. Right. <laughs> Firstly, Austin, right? Yeah, yeah. there is a party scene, right? Because you have this character in Paul Gleason's uh, Mr. Vernon. He is the sort of the authority and you need him there to have the kids rise up against something. Because if he wasn't there and he was just like a nice teacher, you know, the film wouldn't happen essentially. The detention would happen and they all go home. You need this arsehole there to drive it forward. The film's main you know films in the 80s a lot of them had an arsehole that was there as a sort of um a, a, a kind of a fuel to the fire right and that party scene was them kind of breaking the shackles of conformity they were like fuck this we're not doing uh i was gonna say breakfast anymore we're not doing breakfast anymore <laughs> and we're not doing detention either. you know like and it was a, it was a it was a, ca- a case for them to kind of break free and have a good time people like you know the, the nerd the jock you know the princess they hadn't experienced those things before they hadn't had a good time they hadn't cut loose because they'd been too concentrated on their grades or listening to what their parents said you know so that scene where Emilio Estevez comes out and he's and he's all he's all hyper it isn't because he's taking a different type of drug it's because he's had a drug and he's like freak you know I can't I don't take drugs because I concentrate on my sport and my career and you know my studies and this is the first drug I've taken and you know what I feel good I feel good partying with you guys and actually you know having a day off and not being you know 100% all the time and that was him just thinking yeah friggy you know I'm gonna go wild because I'm never allowed to go wild at all and you said you know it's not about character oh, the characters are so well written in this I mean you know I will admit that at the beginning it is stereotypes but the fact is is that as the film progresses you find out that they're not just the stereotypes and it isn't just like they've got a bit of beef with the parents you know some of them are being pushed into a direction that they don't want to go into. Some of them don't get any attention by their parents. Some of them get the wrong type of attention by their parents. You know, it's then the thing is what connects them all is knowing that they all have issues, these deep, deep issues. The fact that, you know, like they wouldn't normally talk to anybody, not and essentially even um, Molly Ringwald, who's the popular one, she doesn't really have any other friends. They don't communicate to anyone. So this is the first time that they're actually communicating to another person you know like they're actually talking about what is going on with their lives so it's a really important moment where they all realize it's not just me my way of uh, escaping all the hurt and the torment that was going back in my in my home is to um 
project this image to be this kind of this basket case as you said or to be this jock or whatever and when they realize that you know what everybody you know in this room is feeling the same and i can talk to people about it and it's not just me that's going through this then they decide to lighten up a bit then you have the transformation as you said from ali sheedy you know like you have people thinking actually this is a group that, that we're in this is you know these are these are my friends now you know this is this is, it's important to share and i think that's a very special part of the film Okay, Dave, we've got two completely different sides of the argument there, as it as seems to be pretty normal, actually, when Gab's involved. Uh, <laughs> it'd be a bit of a shit show if we both just agreed. <laughs> in fact, you know what we love, which would be a good one, we put a film of The Rocks on trial. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone just loves it. Yes, shortest episode, yeah. Okay, so um, Gav pretty much is is polar opposite to, to Austin. Gav says it pretty much sums up the 80s. It's well written script, great characters. It's a relevant message. Um, and he says the kids are complex. That highlights the message of communicating with them. The whole f- film being in the one hall uh, kind of really adds to the film. It's not just about the, the stereotypes. The characters are all developed. The roles are not kind of predefined and you don't really judge a book by its cover. Um, so it's got a really kind of heavy thren- friendship theme and it gives the audience the feeling of being in the classroom as kind of uh, a fly on the wall type of feeling and the one-liners are all kind of very clever the comedy works very well and the hand-picked score obviously uh, by John Hughes also just kind of adds to the film and Austin is pretty much the opposite as I say he says it's everything wrong with the 80s there's no real reason uh, for the kids all to be there kind of like all this different stereotypes gathered you know in one room it wouldn't really happen type of thing the one-liners are all too similar very kind of um well similar to pretty much all the other 80s films of that decade you've heard it all before uh, there's no kind of good reason for the dance scenes uh, it's just kind of in there to, to to highlight the 80s music it doesn't delve into the characters enough there's no kind of context available of the time and um you know the, the there's a lot of kind of gaps in logic and gaps in feel in there so uh, quite a few arguments you can pretty much as you can see just, it sounds like there's a lot more on the negative side there though which is good <laughs> you can cross-reference them <laughs> i would say talk for so long mate honestly I, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think i think you're the king of that one to be fair go. Uh, so, so so i'm gonna have, let dave speak for for a change okay I'll, just I'll, shut up gab <laughs> Um, okay, I've got to say about this film, its reputation precedes it, I think, on, on all levels. It is regarded as one of the big standout films of the 80s, but I think what we've got to consider is how well is it aged. I don't think the message that it's put... And there is a message, Gav's right, there is a message there about inclusion and breaking down stereotypes and what have you. I don't think the message is quite as loud as it was when the film came out in the 80s. Um, I think a lot of it has been lost. I think the film, it, it, it's pretty much stuck in its time. I think if maybe I'd seen the film when I was younger or if I'd been around in the 80s to see it firsthand, it would have had a massive impact. As it is, I don't think it's going to have the same impact on generations today just because I think a lot of it's become lost over time. I don't think it hits as heavy as it once did. Um, the, from what Gav was saying, the script, yeah, the script is quite good. It's better than the average 80s movie. That all depends what you what your thoughts on 80s movies are, I suppose. But it is better than the average. But what would you expect from John Hughes, who was the, the master of the 80s blockbuster, to be, to be fair, the late, great John Hughes from uh, Home Alone and Planes, Trains and Automobiles. And he picks a good soundtrack, but this soundtrack wasn't originally done for the film, so I don't want to give it too much credit there. But he picks a good track. Um, yeah, it's... Um, 
I like the fact that it was all set in in one room. I was surprised to learn when I when I first saw the film and I looked into it that it wasn't actually a play. First and foremost, it was a screenplay written by John Hughes purely to be as a film. It does feel like it would have worked quite well in that play surroundings. Uh, there's no need for the dancing. That is a very 80s moment. And again, whether you like that or not, that depends what your thoughts on 80s are. If you look back at that with a sense of nostalgia at uh, 80s films, you know, it's all about the soundtrack. Or if that's just a bit dated now, I'll leave that up to you. Um one thing I didn't get, and I'd like someone to shred, shed a bit of light on this one. When Emilio Estevez is doing his dancing bit after he's high, and he screams and the plate glass window shatters, <laughs> what the hell's that about? <laughs> Obviously, it's just, it's, it's like one of those zany moments. So John Carpenter, sorry, John Hughes, um, puts like these kind of like zany moments into his films. Just it, like you know, it's so it's like planes, trains, and automobiles. So when um, the you know like it, it, it's just it's, it's essentially just a film about two guys. Uh, there's nothing slapstick or, or you know comedy about it or out of this way, out of ordinary. But then when they're going down the highway and they're going on the wrong side of the road, you see Steve Martin as a skeleton, and then you see you know like John Candy as the devil. Yeah, you know it, he just puts like little zany bits in okay. just to punctuate the films. I got when I when I watched Planes and automobiles i understood the skeleton i that was funny it was like cartoon comedy i understood the devil i didn't understand i had to ask i genuinely did have to ask about the plate glass window that was lost on me a bit it's just you know i didn't get what stereotype of um like opera singers singing so loud that it breaks a a glass yeah it's like him you know he's kind of but he clearly didn't do he didn't scream loud enough or hit the right note to do yeah obviously you know it's 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 not (laughs) i had to i genuinely had to ask i didn't understand it if there was i was wondering is this kind of a metaphorical sort of thing i was i was a bit confused by him coming out and showing so much emotion so yeah. much joy that you know like the power of him screaming breaks the window and he screams so loud he breaks the glass yeah. and yet teacher doesn't come back in from his room next door like, say, what, the fuck, what are you guys <laughs> doing you're meant to be <laughs> they might pop points i bring up every week and but they I've, always I'm get, get swept out. under the rug I've got to say, this does. I'm, I'm even happy to say that it's it's a minor plot point in a film yeah, that's of course riddled with plot holes because it's but not it highlights that, it highlights funny. my point where i do think the bits of it have become lost over time and that is still a debate people still debate why does the glass shatter like there is a metaphor behind it and there may not be it may just be a very simple explanation of John Carpenter thought, John Carpenter, I'm doing it now. John Carpenter. John, John it would have been a very different film if he'd been involved. John Hughes just, just thought, yeah, bit, Michael Myers bit comes to comedy. Yeah. <laughs> very Michael different Michael high school. The, uh, the cleaner there. Yeah, very different high school if that was the case. But yeah, I just feel it's, it, I feel it's very much of its time and I'm not sure how well it's translated over into the present day. I don't think it's got the same renaissance as it once had. Resonance, sorry. But are we not judging it as a film of the time that it came out? And how many times have we had this debate where we said, oh yeah, we've watched a film that came out in the 80s or the 70s and it's just not scary by today's standards. I don't think you can judge it as being as powerful or or as impactful as it was when it first came out to now because there's been just a wealth of other films and TV shows and other messages that people have found more resonance with. Whereas this, there's still the message there and people can still watch and pick it up, but maybe not as powerful as it was when it came out. I'll I'll agree with that because uh, in actual fact I think Stranger Things does the 80s better than this does but I just feel like we're better at telling stories we've had so much more experience so I'm happy to concede on that I'm happy for you to judge this as a film of the time but then we've got to remember still find it we've got to remember when John Hughes made this he wasn't making an 80s film he was just making making a contemporary film film, so it's it's, it's not trying to take a snippet of that 80s life like Stranger Things but I think one thing that Austin did point out that we've not really mentioned yeah almost borderline sexual assault possible at, at that point yeah, it's like 
Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to uh, say that that's, um, uh, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be in there, regardless of what era the film was set in. Uh, but, you know, I mean, how many times have we covered a film that was in the 80s that there's something very, you know, on yeah. the nose or yeah. very, you know, uncalled for, you know, like trading places, for example. You know, the, the scenes which back then would have been seen as a bit raunchy and, you know, like, oh, uh, it's just kind of heightening his character. Like, oh, isn't he a cheeky chappy looking under her dress? Whereas now, you know, it's it, it should have been a no back then, but I wasn't alive. I, I couldn't tell you, you know, how it was perceived in, uh, in the cinemas. But watching it back now it is like oh fucking hell you know what a weirdo what a creep um but the fact is is that you know once again we can't take that one bit of the film and judge the entire film for you we can try <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, okay, so we're, we're gonna move only impartial. Okay, so we're gonna move on, and you, you're gonna have to keep these arguments relatively, well, I can, I can relatively brief because the other ones were pretty, were pretty epic. Um, so we'll start off with you this time, Austin. Mine are sort of very quick, just sort of a reiteration, essentially. So just on stereotypes, is that what ends up is that you know the nerd. He ends up just doing everyone's homework at the end. He doesn't get any character. He doesn't get a girl at the end. Everyone else gets a girl. He just has to do everyone's homework. He gets friends? Well, I think they say he's not going to get friends. I'm not going to speak to you afterwards was one of the lines. I probably won't speak to you. The bad boy. Right, here's the thing. He's a bad boy. He's turned up to detention. What? Why? He's, he's, the, bad, he's the bad man. Why would he come in on a Saturday? Um, so, like, so that just sort of didn't ring true. Unless he's the same as uh, as the goth, and he's like, "Well, I've got nothing better to do. I should probably come here instead." Um, then it just brings back the misogyny about the whole, you know, back on that eighties thing. So girls are only happy when you're looking pretty. You know, if you're ugly and you haven't got a boyfriend, you're worthless. So Ali Sheedy gets dressed up, gets herself a boyfriend. It's just you know, like perpetuates that whole vibe. And then what it really felt to me was it was just a story about. Uh, your man Judd Nelson uh, losing his virginity. He's the bad boy, but he's actually a virgin. Um, and he just wants to get into Molly Ringwald's pants. And basically that's pretty much all that happens. He's just an abusive uh, jerk to her. Um, then they get in the, the closet. They have a, a little kiss and he, he comes out. You know, he's massively too excited and he's fist pumping away. And it just, that's what it felt like to me. It was just, it was just misogyny. It was the 80s misogyny, just drawn out throughout an hour and a half basically okay go on go <laughs> thanks so sorry you, sorry you take a deep breath <laughs> <laughs> trying to get it all out in one uh, breath uh, right okay so yeah starting with um with nelson um the bender in the film he's a punk you know he's an arsehole throughout uh, but it's you know as i said all of the characters are very nuanced it's revealed that he's the subject of verbal and physical abuse by his dad and he feels like he's becoming his dad but ultimately he makes a sacrifice at the end where he takes the blame for uh, the alarm going off and he you know distracts the teacher and he gets more detention for that because you know he makes such a connection with the class and you know if it is about him losing his virginity then then that just shows a more tender side to his character the fact that this is all machoism you know he's been it's bravado that he's covering up the fact that he has these insecurities um we've got uh, emilio estevez jack perfectly plays the i'm better than you at everything and i shouldn't be here role but as the film goes on he appears really vulnerable and um, it shows that his dad's depression came into doing wrestling and bullying others there's this 
this really, really emotional bit later on then in the film where he kind of breaks down and he cries and he shows that he is really just a vulnerable child, even though, you know, he's really muscular and he's doing wrestling. He doesn't want to actually do it and he's feel pressured to do it. There's uh, Molly Ringwald. She's the princess. She's uh, so self-involved, but it turns out that the parents um, don't care that she skips school because they don't really show her any attention. They just throw money at her and say, go and deal with that. She becomes more vulnerable as the film goes on. Her relationship with Bender, it's very, you know, I won't go on about, you know, the misogyny, but um, towards the end, you know, she... Uh, is the most mature one out of the two of them. You think that like she is pining for him at the beginning because he's a bad boy, but at the end, she is the one who has got like the the better character. He is the most vulnerable one in comparison to her. They've made like a kind of a, a role reversal. There's uh, Ali Sheedy uh, playing Allison. She's quiet. She's quirky. She's she volunteered to actually be there, but um, it's it's turned out that her parents ignore her as well, and she's reaching out for attention by acting up this way by pretending to be zany and the fact is is that she you know that's not her so when you say oh it's a, a the transformation at the end feels very forced well, we, that that actually might be a true self because this character that she's playing the zany goth you know like that isn't her which she reveals she's just doing that for attention so her big reveal at the end is just her showing a true form then there's the nerd um he's the outcast he's ignored by everybody at, at school but he's he's pressured into succeeding by his parents and he throws he shows this really delicate and vulnerable side throughout you said that he's forced to do the homework at the end he volunteers because he, he feels like he's made a connection there his friends you know he, he's not forced to do it he says listen I'll, I'll do it now because we've made such a connection i just want us to get out of here essentially one one thing about him as well which i, I forgot about until you just mentioned him it's actually a, he says he was going to kill himself. That's yeah. why he's in detention. Exactly. And it's just made light of. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing, because it, it, it's totally shown that he's, he's, he's so hapless that, you know, like he can't do anything right and he, he couldn't even uh, couldn't even attempt suicide correctly. And then he has a, there's this scene where he breaks down crying and he's just like kind of, nobody likes me. You know, I, I'm just, I'm pressured to um, succeed by my parents. And, you know, I don't really, I don't really want to, you know I mean? He's got this like burden that is placed on him by his parents and he just can't cope with it anymore. And the fact that he is a nerd and he's being bullied by everybody. But as the film goes on, you see like he makes a real connection with Emilio Estevez and with uh, Molly Ringwald as well. He makes actual friends. And at the end of this, he's like, you know what? You know, it's, it was me keeping all of this in. I had suicidal thoughts because I thought that I was alone. But at the end of the day, I'm not alone because you're all experiencing the same or similar things that I am. And I can talk to you about it and I feel better for it. And I don't feel so suicidal anymore um, and then just rounding it up you've got uh fernan um paul gleason he is the favorite he's a podcast favorite but he is the sort of um arsehole of the film and he plays that really really well the authoritarian uh, who the kids rile up against without him there's no reason for the kids to fight back if you had a really nice teacher as i said earlier there would be no reason for them to kind of uh, rebel in the way that they do um but yeah all the performances superb really really detailed layered nuanced performances okay thanks for that gav and austin dave do you decide on any particular yeah the, the the characters i'm leaning slightly more towards gav on this one i have to say the characters are for the most part quite well written i don't think that paul gleason's character is particularly well written i think he's very one-dimensional i think you know you can't help but wonder why did this guy get into teaching in the first place he hates kids he's got a serious attitude problem he threatens to beat 
uh, Bendo at one point. It's just like, what, what is this guy? This is, uh, this like the, the a pantomime villain. I think I've used that term before, but Paul Gleason does give a good performance. The script just isn't there for him to play with. But like Gav says, he's meant to be the villain. He's there. He's, he's serving a function. He's not meant to be a well-rounded character. The character has a role, has a function, has a purpose for the plot, and he does fulfill it. The, the kids are, I've got to admit, pretty well written. Uh, and the performances are pretty much bob on as well. I think everyone does a really good job. Um, yeah, I'd say I did have a bit of an issue with the makeover scene. Because it is kind of like, oh, right, yeah, so now he's only interested in her. Now she's had a makeover. Now she's now she's mainstream and pretty. And But Gav actually has made a good point of it. And I'm actually going to go with Gav's suggestion that this was her true self finally being able to come out and shine. And that's what he likes. He likes the reality of her true self. And you know what? I like that, the way that is put. I'm going to go with Gav's assessment of the situation there. And that, that issue does not bother me anymore. Um yeah, it's they're good performances. They are solid. I do believe that it's still quite dated. There are elements of it that the guys have touched upon, which yeah, it's it's how much does it affect you? The fact that it was when this came out in in nineteen eighty five, ninety six, near about yeah, yeah, sometime in the mid eighties when this came out. I I don't doubt for a second that this was huge. That people went to see this and came out and it gave them a, a revolutionary moment in their minds and they thought that this is fantastic. I'm not sure that message is still carried on today. Um, it's a tricky one to call, to be honest with you, Joel. Don't envy your position. Okay, while I uh, collect my thoughts and shit list, uh, shall, we, <laughs> shall, shall we do a little quiz, Gav? Uh, no, no. You don't get the joy of my quizzes if you're just going to not listen to any of my arguments and place the film on the shit list. That, that was only a little dig. Right, uh, okay. <laughs> so, um, right, this uh, oh, oh, we've got a song here as well. Hey, teacher, leave them kids alone. <laughs> all in all, they're just, uh, I don't know, in detention. I didn't, I didn't finish it, to be honest. Right, this quiz... Uh, Copyright want... is going to rinse us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this quiz is called... Um, uh, uh, so what I basically want from you guys is to tell me um, whether these serials uh, are uh, uh, true or false, essentially, in a quiz I like to call serial or unreal. <laughs> oh, God. Is this, is this based on her point? Does she put cereal on her sandwich, uh, the goth girl? Uh, well, no, it's because uh, cereal is the most important breakfast. Oh. <laughs> Uh, totally right. missed that. It's totally over my head. So, <laughs> right. okay, so like much uh, of that film. <laughs> so, right, all you got to tell me is it serial or unreal? Uh, Captain Dave, Mister T, serial. Oh shit! Oh, gotta be unreal. No, actually, no. My heart says I want it to be real. I'm gonna say real. Uh, unreal. Right, real. It's gotta be serial. Uh, yeah, serial. Uh, it was made oh, by Quick brilliant. Oats, and the tagline was, I pity the fool who don't eat my cereal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number two, Pirates of the Caribbean cereal. True or false? Or, sorry, um, cereal or unreal? Uh, I'm going to go with unreal. I think that's a marketing step too far, even for Disney. Unreal. I'm saying unreal as well. Um, oh, well, you're all wrong. It's real. Oh, really oh. wrong. Cereal. That's what it is. I thought we'd be it on that. made by Kellogg's and uh, it came out in 2006, 2007, and it made uh, your teeth as yellow as Captain Jack's. Uh, <laughs> Seriously? Uh, uh, well, I don't, I'm, I'm just guessing. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, sorry. Don't sue us, Kellogg's, please. Sure, um, other, yeah. wow. Okay, uh, number three, Shrek's cereal. Cereal or unreal? I Yeah, I'm going to say real. I'm going to say cereal. 
Sounds more real than Pirates of the Caribbean cereal, to be honest. I'm going with real. Yeah, now that, now that we've got a Pirates of the Caribbean, I'm saying real as well. I want to see the milk turn green. Uh, oh, yeah, it is cereal. Um, made by General Mills. I don't know if the milk turned green, but that would be great if it they did. They missed a trick if it didn't. And it was, it was actually, its full title was Shrek's Cereal, Not Donkeys. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great. Okay, number four, Rocky Brackets Road Cereal. <laughs> oh, the, the two. Uh, no, Rocky. no, 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 doesn't really. sound real to me. Uh, cereal, um, right? Okay, so there is a Rocky Road cereal, but it's got no connection to Rocky. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, so it's unreal. Um, I think having Sylvester Sloan's face on a cereal, number six, uh, the highest grossing Sony film of all time, Spider Man 3 cereal, cereal or unreal. Uh, unreal. That would probably sell, so I'm going with cereal. Is it called Spider Man 3 cereal? Yeah, Spider Man <laughs> 3 cereal. Not like Spider Man 3 poppers or like uh, snapples or. See, I could believe Spider Man cereal, yeah. but not Spider Man 3 specifically. I'm going to say unreal. Uh, well, no wonder it's Tony's top grossing <laughs> film of all time because it's cereal. Oh, wow. Yeah, made wow. by General Mills in 2007 wow. to promote Spider Man 3. Okay, number seven, Honey, I Shrunk the Loops. <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. I, I'm actually pretty sure that's real, you know. I can't. I want I'm going with cereal. I want that to be real. Cereal. No, it's unreal, but oh. <laughs> it sounds good though. <laughs> My crowded moment there. Uh, number eight, um, uh, potentially racist breakfast cereal, gremlin cereal, <laughs> C- cereal or unreal? Uh, unreal. I don't think I had the budget for that. Tough one, uh, cereal. Do I have to for gremlins too? <laughs> <laughs> if, if we call it Gremlins 2 cereal, then say we're... cereal, cereal. It is cereal. Nice. <laughs> Gremlin cereal made by uh, Ralston in 1984. I'm just Googling. Um, okay, the next one we've got uh, high school musical cereal. Cereal or unreal? No, I don't, I don't think so. Unreal. Unreal. Oh, you're all wrong. It's cereal. Oh. Made by Kellogg's in 28... Kellogg's makes Stop it, shit. Kellogg's. 28... <laughs> uh, okay, uh, the next one is uh, a Nightmare Before Christmas cereal. Cereal or unreal? Uh, I would love that to be true. I'm going to go cereal. I'm going to go with true and made by Kellogg's. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true as well. Oh, man, I want it to be true, but it's unreal. Sorry, guys. I think that would really work, though. Would, like, oh. You'd have, like, different shapes, like a pumpkin yeah. and, like, a, a snowflake. And, and they can all be grey. That Tim Burton shade <laughs> of grey. <you> know? <laughs> I've just... Yeah, uh, very, very heavily frosted. <laughs> I've just watched the Gremlins cereal advert. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you can watch this link. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the last one, Raiders of the Lost Ark cereal. Um, unreal. Unreal? Unreal. Uh, real. Uh, it's unreal. Sorry, oh. guys. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so that that's that. And um, the bit of uh, trivia about the film, damn you, Brucey, um, <laughs> is that um, did you know that um, um, who's your favourite actor, Joel? Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio says that this is the best film ever made. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um, uh, John Hughes wrote the script. No, uh, no. I've, I've got some trivia. Oh, go on. Even though, even though, uh, is, is it Anthony Michael Hall? Is it Michael Anthony? Anthony, Anthony Michael. Michael Hall. Anthony Michael Hall, even though he's alone at the end of the film, he did actually date Molly Ringwald in real life after meeting her on set of this oh, film. Fair play oh. So in reality, everything worked out for the geeky kid. Yeah. Well, well. for a, a year or two at least. What I like about <laughs> trivia is... 
uh, for everyone that can't see, Gav's got his phone is on Google and Austin is on Google. Dave's just sat here with nothing and, and, and Dave brings out the trivia. Yeah. And it's better than everything I've read. I do know that um, the, uh, for the scene where um, Alison shakes dandruff onto a book, uh, they used Parmesan cheese. Really? Oh, that's gross. Yeah, that Which isn't vegetarian, by the way, guys. Isn't. Isn't. It's not. Oh. Wow. Yeah. What, Who said it, it was? Um, uh, I think uh, Ren is he? Oh shit! Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Did you? Conversation for hey. another time. Yeah, yeah. sorry it's, guys. We it's, fun it's fun to know. It's, <laughs> it's a very short bit of trivia. Actually, we we talked earlier about the uh, the uh, the theme tune, and we said that it wasn't written. Um, it was actually was written for the film. Really? Yeah. So don't you forget about me. It was written for, for that film. the Breakfast Club. Yeah. Wow. This is a great film. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. So so Dave. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah cool. okay so uh, i've been gathering my notes and uh, hey we haven't done closing statements to be honest mate. <laughs> this is this is what hinges on it okay oh, austin austin you've, uh, you've got to go first now okay cool um three two one go uh well to be honest with you there's a complete lack of a story um that just carries on for an hour and a half and then uh suddenly there's a relevatory moment um where everybody talks about their parent issues it's just uh, massively stereotypes throughout, a huge misogynistic undertone. Um, the caretaker and the uh, and the, the the vice principal are just totally, you know, afterthoughts. Um, it was um, I, I can't remember what that happened in it, other than the, the the song. Other than don't you forget about me? There's not really much else happens in this film, and um, it's the only thing that sticks in my mind as being any good. <laughs> watching Gav waiting for him to press the button okay Gav you ready okay I'm ready bang right this is the perfect combination of brilliant storytelling setting and direction enhanced by captivating performances from all of the cast you said that the two, the teacher and the caretaker were two dimensional whatever well they're peripheral figures it's all about the kids and it's all about their emotions uh, they are nuanced like very very deep uh, characters um, and it typifies everything that was great and bad about the 80s and taught a whole generation not to trivialize what kids go through because high school is such a difficult and molding time and it still continues to teach us this as well i mean you know we've got to look at it as a film when it came out originally but i still think to this day it has a really strong message um it's one of the american film institute's 100 greatest comedy films of all time it's you know one of imdb's top 250 films of all time it is an absolute trendsetter and it's without a doubt one of the best coming of age films ever made that's it that's pretty pretty much We've used all our three copyright strikes yeah. in one, in one, <laughs> in one, one episode. episode. Yeah. Um, so yeah, n- notes-wise, I have to say... like, you didn't it, even write any notes of those closest <laughs> <laughs> Didn't need to, you just went over the same boring shit that you just... <laughs> but, uh, so notes-wise, like I was saying, I do find it difficult in some of these films to kind of look at it at the time. Like you, you mentioned the horror film, let's just be it, you know, when you watch it now... I watched it for the first time. It isn't scary. And it's very hard to take yourself back kind of 10, 15 years and imagine watching it, watching it, sorry, uh, at the time then. And I think, it, you know, it's kind of difficult for this film as well. I think I agree with what Dave said is in that, like its reputation does kind of go before it a little bit, you know, because it, it's such a almost legendary film and, you know, all the reviews, all the, 
um, you know, awards and things like that and how highly it's thought of amongst, uh, you know, kind of the 80s kids that grew up in that era kind of almost have like a little bit of a pressure just to just to enjoy the film. Uh, but I do th- kind of almost agree with a, l- a lot of what Gav said about his, uh, about his arguments that it does have a message. The message is dated, but you know, like I said, you do have to have to look at it at the time and the, the characters, you know, they are all stereotypes and I do agree with some of what Austin says as well. You know, the fact that they're all just kind of putting that room together is just a, a little bit of a, um, kind of fortune if you like just to just to have the film for the sake of having the film but then the plot holes they don't really bother me i think we've said it a few times now you know like if there was a loud noise and the teacher came back in that would be the end of the film he doesn't come back in because the film needs to kind of carry on so it, it they aren't kind of holes that bother you in you know so much that you'd want to kind of stop watching the film and um, there is some really weird stuff in there as well like all the dancing um you know all, all the kind of uh, things that were maybe acceptable then, which you look at now and you're like, Jesus, uh, is that in a film about teenagers? Um, but then, you know, all the things that Gav said about, you know, the score, all the kind of one-liners. And it, I, I kind of liked the fact that it was all in one classroom as well. You know, it was kind of fresh and it was different, I think, than everything else around that time. So although I do agree with a lot of what Austin said, and if I was watching it today, then maybe be a little bit harsher but I'm gonna go on the hit list thank christ you didn't play don't forget about me again. <laughs> <laughs> oh i will <laughs> all right okay so 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 genuine opinions uh i was genuine i like the breakfast club i like anything that john hughes did uh, i will agree with ozzy that there are some particularly dated bits in it but overall i do think it's got a very good message at its heart which i still think is very relevant to this day um so austin what is your genuine opinion i found it really difficult to prosecute i i really enjoyed the film to be perfectly honest with you <laughs> so um so i had to just pick on a few bits that i i thought were, were were troublesome for me and then just try to uh, to to build on them i had a good look for as many shit reviews as i could find and try <laughs> to get behind any arguments and and i couldn't find that many to be honest with you so it was a uh, it's really difficult so yeah I, I liked it enjoyed it uh dave i imagine you were genuine throughout pretty much yeah i don't love this film it's as far as 80s films go it's not one of my favorites i really don't get why it's got such a big reputation but it's still joel has made the right call it is still a good film it's on the right side of the hill it's for sure by a good mile um and i'll be honest with you, there's little bits of the film i took umbrage with when i first watched it that uh, gav you've actually taught me around and i i like the film a, bit, a lot more than when we started the podcast to be honest with you well, you've was, not you've not made like... a disciple of me yet but you have taught me around on a few points i was going to say that there were a few points where i was either on the fence or against and then gav's argument did with yeah, me yeah it's like you've suitably uh, explained the I, breakfast club yeah, yeah so i actually scrubbed a few lines out of my, uh, my <laughs> argument because I thought it was a better, uh, better better understanding so well yeah. well thank you very much guys uh, and said two compliments in one episode I can get, go to sleep happy tonight uh, Joel I imagine you're, you're just you know you probably hate it because there's no um, no there. I don't hate it but I never watched this in the 80s and I watched it recently like a year or two ago something like that and I did find myself thinking this is pretty overhyped but i did enjoy the film i just don't think it deserves like this legendary status yeah, yeah. on all the all the lists it's it's watchable and it's definitely worth watching but i'd never include it in like the top even 250 yeah. i agree it's like saying you know uh, oh, blood diamonds on the top 1000 films it's not even an accolade 
<laughs> yeah, it shouldn't have been an accolade, to be honest. Um, okay, uh, right, so uh, here we go. Higher or lower than um, Blood Diamond? Which was a solid eight. Was eight, eight. Wasn't it? One fat oh, lady. Yeah, it's got to be higher. It's going to be higher. It's going to be cult classic, isn't it? I think it's going to be lower. I, st- I think if people are reviewing it today, okay, yeah, yeah. I reckon it could be a bit lower. I reckon it's going to be in the seven somewhere. I reckon 8.5. I'm going to say 8.2, but I like Dave's argument. 7.7. Ooh. Dave's closer. 7.9. Oh, wow. Which leads me to believe it's not in the IMDb top 250. (laughs) 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 So, yeah. Right. going on the shit list then. (laughs) False information. (laughs) Holding too big and proper there, guys. Uh, Yeah, right. So, also, uh, just before we wrap things up, I took a screenshot of the film. It's the very final moment of the film, the iconic fist punch by Judd Nelson into the air and I asked people to put a caption to that image with the best one winning a delicious chocolate treat shaped like a frog (laughs) 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 and uh, yeah so uh, for the first time in a few weeks we've actually got more than one caption so this is going to be tight okay okay right two two Yes, but it, that is true that it is more than one. <laughs> uh, the first one is um, when you just want to dance, but you're in the wrong 80s movie. <laughs> and the second one is the first rule of Breakfast Club is you do not talk about Breakfast Club. <laughs> oh, so both, number one for me. Good. I'm going to go with one as well. Just, good, one just edges it for one me. Just, both well, good. Okay, so well done. Um, Roly best dog. Uh, wow. okay. Yeah, uh, so yeah, you've won yourself a Freddo. Maybe we should give that to their owner. Do not feed it to the dog. <laughs> it will be bad news. Uh, <laughs> the dog will die happy though. The Freddo is delicious. <laughs> right, uh, maybe we should start doing um, dog treats as well. <laughs> Just in case, because you can never be too sure. Uh, right, so uh, as this film, uh, sorry, as this show has been going on, we have pulled our next film out of the hat at random, and it is Face Off Again. That's not the sequel to Face Off. It's uh, Face Off. The first Face Off, the real Face Off. We were supposed to do it the other week, but we didn't. We're going to do it again. It's going to be great. Uh, and uh, we pulled the roles out at random. And in the role of Judge is going to be me. In the role of Defense is going to be Captain Dave. In the role of Prosecution is going to be Brucey slash hey, possibly. Brucey! <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Is he gone Mexican? <laughs> it's me I'm Italian Mexican Hello everybody It's me Alex He's not going to be happy When he listens to this And um, That means In the role of um, uh, Thingamajig Character witness Is going to be Joel With the assistance Of, of our good friend Austin as well um, So yeah Just want to say Thank you very much To everybody Who's listened to this episode And to all of our Other episodes You can catch All of our back catalogue and our future episodes on iTunes and on another also on our website www.filmsontrial.co.uk check us out on Twitter at Film Trials suggest a film and we will put it in the hat to review at a future date maybe next week maybe never well it will get reviewed yeah ignore what I just said when I said never I meant this uh, take what you said and just ignore it as he he take this out me Uh, (laughs) while you're on Twitter why not follow our good friends and collaborators Austin Ray our music mogul at Aussie Ray and our graphic designer Uh, he's done a great job this week with the Breakfast Club uh, at 
the underscore quirks winston sang um yeah and you can follow us on facebook on youtube on instagram all at film trials and i just want to say thank you very much to everyone and goodbye (laughs) (laughs) 